1: A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily
0: notifications. Today we will be beginning book six of the Ascension edition of Confessions. This bonus episode is an introduction to the reflections that you'll hear for the next few days.
1: If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast, Godsplaining. There, you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org.
0: All right, let's go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, in this Book six, we've chosen a focus on uh, different models of faith or different companions along the way who encouraged St. Augustine in his conversion and his eventual embrace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it's an especially beautiful theme because it gets at the communal dimension of our faith Uh, This notion that no man is an island, at the very least, we all pertain to an archipelago. And you see this, you know, it's, it's just from start to finish in salvation history and from top to bottom in the way that God mediates his revelation and grace to us, his adopted sons and daughters. So, I mean, it starts with our Lord Jesus Christ who takes human flesh precisely so that following the path that he trod becomes to us something more easy, more near, more human, uh, so that we can kind of find in following him that we arrive at the divine life, which God has ready for those who love him. But then it's it's also a phenomenon which is refracted through the lives of, of the saints and the good people with whom we live and, you know, all those people who are proposed to us as models. So, Father Jacob Bertrand, I'm not going to ask you who your models of the faith are and put you on the spot. But maybe i could suggest in that direction if there are thoughts that you have about models of the faith and maybe certain individuals who come to mind
1: <laughs> mm, you're putting me on the spot uh models <laughs> of the faith it's great well you know the saints all of them are good models of the faith uh <laughs> it's great uh so i well i'll name i'll name one saint and then i'll name a second model so my religious name Jacob Bertrand's after two saints, but I'm going to focus on one, St. James. So Jacob is sort of the Latin of James. Um, I find, I mean, I have a great devotion to St. James, the apostle, St. James, the greater, of course, you know, of course you got to throw that in there Um, for a whole host of reasons, his privilege of being an apostle, being one of the the three apostles who witnessed a number of Christ's revelations and miracles, um, sharing in his discipleship with his brother, John, but also for his sort of overzealousness and needing to be corralled by the Lord. So his kind of imperfections there. So I, I, his life of faith and dedication to the gospel in Christ. And then another that comes to mind um, in a real sort of what catalyst in my vocation was my college chaplain, who is a diocesan priest, who is a really, just a really, I think he was the first priest that I met that was also seemed like a human being with whom I could have a conversation as a priest. You know, growing up, priests were always like, you saw him at mass and on occasion, and that was kind of it, but very different. But yeah, Father was excellent. So his devotion to the mass, his devotion to us students for the decades that he was at school there. And um, yeah, just a really, really awesome, awesome man. So those two jump out.
0: Boom. All right. In, In imitation of you. Uh, I will yeah pick one who has gone before us and one who is among us. Uh, so when when I read a book about Saint Thomas Aquinas called The Quiet Light, for me it was just it was a huge moment. I had already come across you know his teaching a little bit in my freshman year of college. There was a professor who came to school and gave a little teaching about. Aquinas on the nature of love and I just found it to be super interesting and like even engrossing and so I just picked up this book which was historical fiction effectively about St. Thomas Aquinas's life and in reading it I was like holy smokes I want to love the Lord the way that St. Thomas Aquinas loves the Lord because previously I'd known at some level that I like I wanted to love the Lord and I wanted to be of service and I wanted to do x y and z things because they were because they were cool or because they appealed in whatever way but then in his concrete witness it was like the gospel took human flesh in a way that spoke to me with with urgency and with intensity and that really motivated me to begin looking into the dominican order actually i started telling people that i want to be a dominican priest before i'd even met a living one but turns out Saint Thomas aquinas a good witness to the life even 700 years after the fact and then another is my dad i was thinking about this recently because i went on retreat with my dad at the time of recording not too long ago at the time of these episodes launch a little longer ago but I, I just yeah it was an occasion for me to reflect on how much my dad has given me like my dad has given me everything you know he gave me my life but he also gave me the faith he has given me the faith in a really profound way and i just love the simplicity of his faith he's just kind of a show up type fella You know, he'll talk about what he's thinking and what he's feeling on occasion. But for the most part, it's simply by way of invitation like, do you want to go to confession? I was going to bop over to the church. Or, uh, you know, he'd address to the family, do you want to pray the rosary? The answer to that was always yes, because there was no other option. Um, or, you know, like in the context of the parish and making invitations to men's group or to go on pilgrimage to an American apparition shrine, um, Medjugorje was a big part of the family apostolate, but like just, just a man of invitations, a man of simple fidelity. And as a result of which a man of simple joy in his Christian life. And it's just like, it's in those concrete witnesses that I draw strength and I draw encouragement to live my own Christian life, you know, as, as well as I know how. So In this particular section of the Confessions, we're going to hear about people who encouraged St. Augustine, who taught St. Augustine, who accompanied St. Augustine, or even followed St. Augustine along the way, but the people who make up his life. So St. Monica, St. Ambrose, St. Olypius being three big uh, contributors to the work of holiness, which is the sanctity of St. Augustine. So I don't know if there's one or two or three or whatever that sticks out, but you have particular thoughts on the way that love uh, takes concrete shape here in in Book 6.
1: Um, do I, yes, I do. Uh, to answer your <laughs> questions, uh, let's, let's go chronologically in engagement. Does that work? Oh yeah. So I think the first of those three would probably be St. Monica as far as chronological. I meant chronological in St. Augustine's life. So being his mother, she would be first. So I mentioned earlier at some point in one of the episodes that I had read the confessions a while ago and then read parts, but rereading again for the second season, she. She's surprising to me, you know, because she she seemed a lot more human and relatable uh, th- than she had in the past or than like my imagination had, you know, because we can look at the way her her motivations, how she did things earlier on. We were talking about the way she sort of offered votive offerings at some of the shrines of the martyrs it was corrected by San Ambrose, um, but also like the way she in which she handled or encouraged or discouraged Augustine's marriage or like marriage in general and Augustine's life questions about his being baptized and these sort of you know um, she's a saint she's holy she's very holy but she didn't always get it right in ways that other saints do so it's it's reassuring it's encouraging to me that somebody so great you know the mother of saint augustine who who dedicated her life to her son's conversion was also yeah i mean she's she's a human being transformed by grace not by her own power so i think that's pretty that's just incredible to me so
0: yeah, and, and it's fascinating, too, because throughout the course of this book, uh, which traces St. Augustine's journey through the death of his mother—spoiler alert—we um, see him, on the one hand, exercise a great filial piety— you know, so it's clear that he loves his mother. It's clear that he wants to honor and respect his mother, and he wants to do justice to her good name and her good reputation. So he's, he's not going to like reveal things which are unsavory. But you can tell that he's he's being honest, right? He's being sincere in his recounting of the facts, and that you know Saint Monica's a somewhat complicated figure. That she and Patricius gave bit of a long leash to him when he was kind of running amok sexually in his early years. Uh, She didn't want him to get married. She didn't want to get tied down at a bad time because even though it would have curbed his lust, yet it might have limited his political or social reach. And so too, like she's the occasion whereby he breaks it off with his concubine because she just didn't think that the woman was well-placed enough. So she's a product of her time. She's thinking in terms of Roman social advancement or social advancement in the Roman empire. But, but it's also clear that she loves him with a mother's love, and she tends to him in his, his various needs, and she's going to come to his aid, as we'll read in these pages, and that all of it is filtered through this just burning desire for St. Augustine to become Catholic. And so, yeah, by hook or by crook, she's going to use all of her motherly wiles to that end, which is, (laughs) I love it. You know, it's just, he's he's very honest in his recounting of the facts. He's not just doing a kind of whitewashed hagiography. He's giving us a textured vision of St. Monica, which helps us to enter into her holiness. All right, passing on to St. Ambrose. We're going to talk a little bit about his preaching and teaching, about the way that he exposits the the spiritual senses of scripture and how helpful that is for St. Augustine. Um, But also, I think it's just good to think about St. Ambrose as a a good pastor, right? His time is taken up by the administrative demands of his diocese, by the various needs of those who come to him. And he's just just a good bishop. So St. Ambrose, your thoughts?
1: I imagine St. Ambrose kind of looking at St. Augustine, or at least looking at St. Monica with kind of a... uh, like a blank expression, you know, in ways of just like, kind of just like, huh, you know, because there's there's this point that where Saint Monica comes to Saint Ambrose and begs Saint Ambrose or implores Saint Ambrose or uh, whatever Saint Ambrose to meet and talk with Saint Augustine to get him to give up his Manichaeism and and become Catholic. And Saint Ambrose's response to her at that time is like, "Not yet. He's not teachable." go away. Like, keep praying, basically kind of thing. And perhaps I'm I'm reading into it a little bit, but as Father Gregory was saying, that like he's just a good bishop, a good priest, um, a good pastor, and there's sort of a simplicity to it. I don't imagine Saint Ambrose's life was simple at all, but there's a simplicity to the character of Saint Ambrose, and I don't mean that in a kind of fake way, but like the person of Saint Ambrose, reliant on the truth, reliant on the sacred scriptures, reliant on the sacraments and God's grace, and also not just for himself but for Saint Augustine and for his flock. Like he knows Christ is faithful. And Christ will work. And Christ is victorious. And he rests in that. That's how it seems to me. And yeah, there's, it's just about Jesus. And that's kind of it. So there you have it, St. Ambrose.
0: Yep. And you also get some nice human touches with St. Ambrose, too, when Augustine's going to recount a story, or maybe he's already recounted the story. I get lost in the, the pages of this book sometimes. But where you know he'd go to St. Ambrose to ask him a question, and St. Ambrose was reading to himself, St. Augustine is just astonished at the fact that he doesn't pronounce the words out loud, which would have been the the contemporary custom. So he's reading to himself and he says maybe he did it so that people wouldn't ask him questions about the words that he pronounced and then ask him to comment a particular passage. Or maybe St. Ambrose just didn't want to look up from his books because he didn't want to answer your question. <laughs> So I love it. I mean, like, he's he's super dedicated to his pastoral service. He's also super dedicated to the contemplative life. He's a man of great prayer, a man of great study. And if he's going to take some time off, it's going to be to rest, but rest first in the Lord and then rest on his bed if he ever affords himself that luxury. Uh, But I also just, I I take great encouragement from it because it communicates to me something of the simplicity of what it means to be a good priest. And uh, I experienced this a little bit in Switzerland because the Swiss church, it can be overly complicated. uh, And sometimes it's hard just to get the goods. And so if you're willing to celebrate the sacraments and preach and teach with a modicum of competence, people are like, holy smokes. Give me that. Um, and it just it was, it was great and reaffirming for me and my priestly identity. And it helped me to retain a hold on the supernatural perspective, which should be present throughout our life or should suffuse our life. And I think you see that, that St. That Ambrose is a supernaturalized man. He believes in God and he loves by a love which God alone gives. And that, that's enough. With, you know, with that, you have everything. Okay. Passing on to our third and final big figure of this passage is St. Olypius. So, you know, first a student of Augustine, we'll hear about this, but Augustine's just, yeah, he, he respects Olypius in a big way because he's so, he's so principled, right? He's very upright. He's very righteous. He doesn't want to take money that's not his. He, he doesn't want to be caught in anything that could be unjust or unsavory. And as a result of which, he's just, he's a kind of light. So, I don't know, you know, we have this experience where we're edified or encouraged by our contemporaries, by our friends. And oftentimes that that serves as one of the best forms of fraternal correction. I don't know what your experience in the order has been, but yeah, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, certainly with being in a religious community and entering and living the life with peers, there's that sort of call to excellence coming through that way, if that makes sense. And I think, you know, at the top of this episode, Father Gregory and I both recounted people in our lives who witness and bore witness to the faith in different ways. And St. Augustine too, with St. Monica, and Saint Ambrose, the people that Father Gregory and I mentioned for Saint Augustine, the people that we're talking about, had a sort of authority over the over Austin over Saint Augustine in their own ways. But with Saint Alypius, he's he's much more of a peer, much more of an equal, and you could see as their relationship develops how they they begin to go to Christ together. And yeah, some, it's not always being you know, led by someone ahead or by someone of authority, but also, you know, I think of like with those, with those people who are like you. And, you know, we can think of this with our, with our friends in the faith, with our peers in the faith, with our, you know, whether they're classmates or people at the parish or whomever, there's, there's a real power to that, uh, that, that speaks and, and exists on its own.
0: Yeah. And I think too, you know, 21st century, I mean, all centuries are sensitive to anything that would come across as patronizing or condescending. And so it's like, a lot of times we can just begin with the humble or candid admission that we don't have much to like teach other people or to preach to other people but we can you know be present to other people and that's not to say that our presence is necessarily what they want at the time or what they will appreciate at the time but it's like, okay, I want God. It's evident to me that you want God. It seems to be the case that if we want God together, sometimes it goes better. So you know, like, what are you doing on Saturday morning? Do you want to join a Bible study? Um, it can be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. It doesn't have to be like super self-conscious of who's giving whom what and how relatively excellent or it's just it just doesn't have to be like that. It can just be I'm interested in this thing. You're interested in this thing. Let's be interested in this thing together. I mean, people do it with like stamp collecting and like comic books. We can do it with Jesus. (laughs) So, all right, that's our brief introduction here to book six. We certainly look forward to reading its contents and unpacking those contents with you and the days that follow. So, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.